Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Well, we're we're live. We're kicking. Good day to be alive. How are you doing, man? I'm about to put the disengruntled, David. <laughs> I attended the hockey game tonight, and I was not real happy with what I saw. Bruce, as a, there as was a paying customer. I'm going to clear my throat a little bit. All right. all right. There were a few gruntled individuals in the <laughs> um, in the whole building. Certainly not Oilers coach Jay Woodcroft, and certainly not who who absolutely ripped his team during a timeout. Good. In after the uh, second Seattle goal, which we're, we're going to be getting to in some detail, mm-hmm. um, and none of the fans. The only the only gruntled individuals were the Seattle uh, team and probably media core. Although they're not supposed to cheer, but they secretly do. I know. All right. I, know. I uh, saw a guy wearing a Jaden Schwartz jersey strutting out of there after the game. I can tell you, <laughs> as tall as this, <laughs> as tall as the Seattle needle tonight. All right, uh, Bruce. Two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast because it's a was a, a pretty rancid freaking defeat. If we're completely honest, we will go with two bad things each. The orders lost five two. The grade A shots, Bruce, in the game were um, Seattle had uh, fourteen grade A shots. Eight of them were of the most dangerous five alarm variety. Fourteen and eight. The Oilers had um, through the balance of the game, Bruce. They had five grade A shots. And three of them were five alarms. So the, the Seattle shut down the orders. And then in the last, on the power play in junk time, they got three grade A shots to make it eight and six for grade A shots and five alarm shots overall. So the orders were just stomped. Uh, After and, the empty net goal. Am I correct? Those were the only three chances the orders had in the third period? You are correct, Bruce. They are the only three they had chances. They one disallowed and then... And after McDavid's goal at 9-12 of, you know, uh, 50 seconds into the second period, they were the only grade-A chances Edmonton had for the rest of the game came in garbage time on the power play right at the end, after Seattle had scored five goals in a row. Five in a row. So so if people are a little bit steamed, well, it's because we're irrational hockey fans and we care about something like this. All right. What is your... Uh, what is your first bad thing? We're going to start with the bad things, Bruce, and you will you will light it up. You will start it off. Uh-oh. Yeah, my main bad thing is that uh, not just the erratic play of the Edmonton Oilers, but the terrible play of the Edmonton Oilers in their home burn. And I'm sorry, fellas, but if you if you fancy yourselves as a contender, any contender worth their salt, or even any sort of medium team worth their salt, uh, puts on a good show in their home arena. And they play tough in their home arena, and they make it tough on visiting teams in their own arena. And the Oilers have been rolling out the red carpet for team after team here. And uh, I mean, this is uh, now five losses in a row, just nine wins and 21 games on the season for the Oilers on their home ice. And of the five losses in a row, three of them, they had a two-goal lead and blew the game. They managed to get one point out of those three games and nothing at all out of the other two as well. <clears throat> And it's just, David. I've been to. I've been to. Uh, I'm, I'm a. I'm a um, mini pack holder now, and I've got value pack number one. 
which has uh, got five games in it. It's the one that has the extra game. I thought, oh, that's good. I got an extra extra game out of it. Well, they've already played four games in mini pack number one, and the Oilers have lost all four of those games in regulation time, and not once have they played anything remotely resembling a 60-minute effort. Not once have they played a 60-minute <sighs> game. They blew a two-goal lead in the last three minutes to New Jersey, fell asleep in that game. They... <sighs> They got shut down and, and closed out by the L.A. Kings in a real boring game. Uh, they somehow got beat by Anaheim Ducks, worst team in the league, at at the start of that day before they cashed two points in Rogers Arena, or Rogers Place, I should say. And now tonight's game, where a 2 nothing lead against a recent expansion team turned into a 5-2 blowout for the other guys. And... Like I said, there's not one of those games, David, where they put together three decent periods, and I don't think that's too much to expect from from paying fans' point of view. And tonight, I are one, and I feel your paying fans. I'm speaking on behalf of a lot more people than me that are paying for these games and should expect better and should be delivered better. Just not happening, and it's not good enough. Always good to pay for a game, eh? Like to go and pay oh, yeah. your own money oh, oh, yeah. and then feel the stink. You know, it, it strikes Darn me, Bruce, right. that uh, going to Oilers games is like skiing at sunshine. It's it's about as expensive because when you, you know, like to ski at sunshine now for the mm-hmm. hotel and everything else, it's like, well, it's, you know, $300 once, you know, for, for a day just to get down there and get your ticket and get the hotel room. And Anyway, it's very expensive. And, and about one out of three times, it's absolutely fantastic. Oh. You know, the sun's out. It's uh, there's good visibility and it's just great. And then the other two times it's dreadful because you can't hardly see and you're skiing and it's 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 horrible. And that's about the rate we're getting at order games now. And you've gotten a worse oh, rate. Oh for four, oh for four for me, David. I'm two hundred ninety-one dollars <laughs> and twenty cents into my mini pack. Not that anybody's keeping score here. Nine goals for sixteen against four straight regulation losses. Tonight they yeah, didn't well, get they, a star in the game, and they didn't deserve one because Seattle had all the best players in this game. They better have a nice, bright, sunny game, Bruce. So you're not going to be uh, paying the price next year for your mini pack. I have a sense. Well, I mean, last year I got it and I was happy with it, and this year I got it. And I mean, I was I didn't mind the package, but Jesus, play games, guys! Like, like, come out and you know, beat somebody. Come out and own a game. Beat someone five-one. How about that? Like all the good teams do once in a while. Win one for Bruce. All right. I'm not out the next game, but win that one 5-1. It's high (laughs) time you came out and owned your home ice and blew somebody else out of it instead of getting blown out of your own back door. So you said they're not worth their salt, and I looked that up, Bruce. The etymology of worth their salt is from the ancient Roman practice of paying soldiers a salarium or wage with which to buy salt. All right, Bruce, my bad thing, my first bad thing um, was the Oilers. It was the second goal against it was Seattle's second goal. And uh, that one had me wanting to uh, send those guys to a different kind of coliseum. Um, (laughs) Bruce, um, the Oilers got a penalty on the play. Kulak took a tripping penalty. And sometimes you'll see this kind of a let up because I was just kind of expecting someone on. else to touch the puck I feel who's going to touch the puck there's going to be a whistle someone's going to touch the puck there's going to be a whistle you can even see it in the offensive team sometimes like they don't really crank it up completely and they you know give away the puck 
there sometimes can be this lack of uh, energy and intensity from from either side in this situation. And boy, is that ever a mistake? And it sure was here. And I'm gonna, unfortunately, this is the way we roll because we break down the goals against and and, and we single out players who actually make the biggest mistakes on these goals against. And three, it's uh, two pretty impressive players on the orders and one guy who's really been struggling unfortunately um they were all in the red light zone all neither covering off a passing lane effectively or covering a man and um they were uh starting with zach hyman who fails to stop the the pass from the blue line to the center to the middle of the ice and then the middle of the ice is wide open it is there's no one there on this guy Long, I can't remember who made the pass, but it's, it's long enough that he can just pick and make a perfect pass to a, to the goal scorer at the side of the crease. And why is it wide open? Because Connor McDavid is cruising. He's been cruising around and he's 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 cruising up the ice from behind the net. He's taken an indirect route to the play. He's 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 gone up the boards. He hasn't read the play. He's not in the middle of the ice. He is in the red light zone, and he was the major culprit on that goal against. Other than uh, Brett Kulak who uh, took the penalty and then he and he um, was the lefty and the score was on the right side. But Tyson Berry had moved up to um, kind of cover off the middle of the ice a little bit. And Kulak was the last man back to cover the Seattle player who was kind of lagging behind. And who didn't cover that Seattle player was was Kulak, who's, who has really been struggling. I wrote a post on it recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's now starting to turn into goals against, which is what people oh. really notice. Before it was just, he was getting a lot of, he was, causing a lot of great shots against but through luck and good goaltending it really wasn't burning the Oilers a lot but now these things always catch up to you and they and they re, they did a couple times this game the poor guy and 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 I was saying to you before the podcast I I don't like criticizing certain players especially defensemen um I feel like it doesn't usually do them a lot of good it's a tough position to play um, it takes a lot of confidence, takes a lot of uh, reading the play, using your head, and then being really tough and physical right at the right moment. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like Kulak strikes me as a guy. Um, Bouchard strikes me as another guy. These guys, you know, who, who make mis- major mistakes and did tonight, like they are going to get criticized mm-hmm. here and they are going to hear about it. And but it, again, it doesn't bring me any pleasure because I actually don't think it does them any good. So my only recommend recommendation to them is n- never read our posts and never um, listen to this podcast and and tell your relatives and friends never bring up social media what people say on social media or what they say in the newspaper or anything like that. Just never mention it because I well, think that's the best way to survive in Edmonton. So we want everybody else to listen to the podcast, but. Um... Yeah, we don't, I don't. I don't. I, do I don't want, want to criticize. I want to be critiquing ten nothing wins all the time. Doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. got to we got to talk about what we see. And in the case of uh, of Brett Kulak, it's a guy that with a long history of being a third pairing defenseman who's been asked to take on second pairing minutes this year, and he's he's struggled to make that transition. I think it's totally fair to say that. Yes. And I think they still got a you know a good third pairing defenseman in the long term here, but uh, what they got on second left defense right now is a is a problem. It is. What is your second uh, bad thing, Bruce? Oh boy, uh, I don't want to single anyone out, so I'm going to I'm going to. I mean, really, it should be the whole team. But what kept catching my eye tonight, David, was um, uh, the young players on the team. Uh, 
that I've been watching with a bit of a critical eye lately and how none of them seem to be able to come up with a positive play that would that would turn uh, turn the game and I'll I'll mention the three I'll mention Evan Bouchard who was unable to keep the puck in at the offensive blue line four different times by my count losing what seemed to be perfect setups that went right through his stick and out over the blue line or he fumbled at stick handling at the line <clears throat> and who also whiffed on the puck in his own slot that led directly to I think it was the winning goal uh, he had a rough time of it. He got hacked on that play, but we'll, we'll talk about he, that. Okay. He got hacked. Yeah, by I him. wonder. I wondered if the guy lifted his stick or something. No, I just hacked was... on the arm, and he oh, and yeah. he could. I mean, could they have called a penalty in theory? Like he got, he certainly got uh, slashed, and it's, yeah. and it prevented him from making the play. So that happens. That's hockey. And Philip Brober, who had some good moments in this game, I thought, but other moments where his his youngness and rookiness kind of sh- sh- shone through. Most notably, a play where he jumped up into the rush nicely, turned a two-on-two into a three-on-two. They set him up perfectly, and they completely whiffed the shot from the slot. And these guys are gripping their stick too tight. We've been saying that about, you know, yes, the Poliarvi is you know, having trouble executing around the net. Kyle Yamamoto is having trouble executing around the net. Both did tonight. And Dylan Holloway, uh, he shows these flashes just about every game, David, but it it always seems to be lacking at the at the at the critical moment of the play. There was one night to play the night where he made a real nice rush, uh, beat the defenseman one on one, went wide over by the hash marks, and had a winger break into the net, and he pulled the pass back, and he missed the guy by five feet, and it went out of the zone, and they were going the other way. Or then he took a you know, coming in on the forecheck, careless stick, four minute penalty with ten or twelve minutes left in the third period. And you could live with those kind of rookie mistakes if there was ever any sort of payoff at some point, any point. And I mean, it's just, it's just so. Uh, and you know, these guys are good. Like Evan Bouchard on the offensive blue line. It's not like, well, I'm criticizing his defensive play, and we all kind of knew that he was was going to have issues defensively. This is his absolute strength is handling the puck, making plays at the offensive blue line, breaking out of his own zone, and he's whiffing on pucks left and right. I mean, what's going on? What so, is going on? What is it? That's a really good question. are listening to our podcast, David, and we're making them nervous when that comes to uh, crunch so. time. I think it's our fault. It could be, like you never know, right? Like, I do think Bouchard's confidence is in tatters. Like, from watching him right now, I think it's in tatters. That's what I see right now. It's like, it's gone through what Pulley Arvey's been going through, like the meat grinder. And um, it's not a good thing. So, again, you know, they got to get this insulation. It's hard to get in Edmonton when everyone's talking about you and um, dissecting your game. You know, they call it, like as Al Hamilton, I think it was, <clears throat> he called it, or the uh, the crowd at the uh, the uh, Oilers games with the jury. The jury. The jury. <laughs> yeah, the jury. Judge, jury, and executioners. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was all of the veteran players like who made good plays on the two goals that they did score. And Kulak actually made a good play he did. on uh, McDavid's goal. He won a battle and put the puck yeah. up the boards. And Janmark made a, yeah, Matthias Janmark made a really mm-hmm. fine little pass. And McDavid, of course, did what he does so well. And I thought the orders were home free then. Two nothing. They're rolling. They, they at that point they had the edge in scoring grade A shots and then they just well you know 
England. It is it is ten days since the Vancouver game, so obviously the memory of that, where they had a two nothing lead against a tired traveling team, uh, <clears throat> playing rested at home, uh, turned into a five two loss, identical as to what happened tonight. So clearly that lesson sank in. Yeah, Jay Woodcroft tried to remind them. So Bruce, my second bad thing is the two goals. They are the uh, third and fourth. Seattle goals of the game both came on even strength face-off plays in the Oilers zone one and and so I was trying to figure out what because we you know we go over the videotape and we're trying to assign who, who you know who made the mistakes on the goal against and what I noticed on both plays is that um, Kulak and Philip Robury lined up on their wrong side on their off side with uh, you know when so Bouchard is on the, you know, he's the right side defenseman. He was lining up on the left side. Broberry is lining up on the right side. And when on the uh, the um, the next goal, it was Kulak who's on the right side, and Tyson Berry, the right track guy, is on the left side. So I thought that's really interesting. Like, and what happened was both times they they went with both uh, Kulak and Broberry went with their winger stuck with their winger off the faceoff. And the, that winger both times went to the high slot. Both times went to the high slot. So what, what happened was the, the Oilers defenseman was when the goal was scored, was both times was out in the high slot. And that left one defenseman and a, and a forward or two to, to cover the front of the net. And really, I think what you'd want optimally is to have defensemen covering the front of the net because that's their real skill. They know how to do that. They're, they're really attuned to that. So I'm not sure. I was just thinking, is this what's going on here? Did like was that a mistake? Were they supposed to follow those guys up? So I, I went through every defensive. There was 26 defensive zone faceoffs in the game. That's and so as you were driving home, I went through all of them. I just w- watched them all to see. And what I found is um actually Seattle did the same thing. On every single faceoff, Seattle had their defensemen on the their offside. Every single one. So Adam Larson, the right shot guy, would be on the left side. Alexi, the, mm-hmm. the Vince Dunn, uh, the the left shot guy would be on the right side. Every single face-off, they did that. Even more than the Oilers. There was a couple times where the Oilers didn't have their defensemen switch sides. Uh, four out of the Oilers' uh, D-zone face. Four out of the 13 Oilers' D-zone face-offs, the Oilers didn't switch sides. But they most often did so, and Seattle did it every single time. I didn't get a sense, Bruce, whether Seattle, the Seattle defenseman on his offside always went into the into the faceoff to try to help the center win the faceoff. Oh, yeah. But there was never a situation where the order winger actually went to the high slot. So I, I could never see Maybe they should try it. 13 faceoffs if they would if the Seattle defenseman would be lured out there away from his post, so to speak, away mm-hmm. from where he does the most good. What I what I did see was they. Yeah, it just it, it didn't come up, so I can't say for sure whether other teams actually want to ha- want their defenseman actually to follow that guy way out into the high slot area, like the Oilers seem to be doing. One thing I did notice though, the Oilers lined up from hash mark to hash mark, almost in a straight line across the faceoff circle. You know, the winger, defenseman, center, winger, defenseman, and they were they were always in this straight line. Right across now, the line of scrimmage, eh? Right across the line. Seattle yeah. didn't do that. Seattle, almost every occasion, except for, I think, uh, three times, 10 out of the 13 defenses on faceoffs for Seattle, for Seattle, they had one, one of their defensemen right directly behind the center uh, at the bottom of the circle. 
whereas the Oilers had this kind of straight line. So, and again, I don't, I don't know um, how other teams do it, and I don't know if that's part of the problem with the Oilers on faceoffs because you've written a recent post about all the goals that have been scored against the Oilers on faceoffs. I'm just, it was the first time I looked at it, but I'm going to look at it a little closer because these goals are happening with regularity. Something is clearly wrong. Something like this, a defensive zone faceoff, you should have a, a structured system in place where everyone knows what they're doing and they don't, the other team doesn't get a good shot on net. Like, I, I, I don't think that you, you should be able to generate good shots off de- defensive zone face-offs. And the fact that the orders are giving up so many is, is, is alarming. I think something's wrong. I'm not sure what it is. So, the again, the main difference seems to be Seattle had this defenseman back uh, right behind the face-off dot. I don't know if that gives them some kind of, certainly makes them less likely to, to charge out to the high slot, I guess. But other than that, I can't, I don't know. So those are my initial uh, kind of uh, findings on what the, what's going wrong with the Oilers on defensive zone faceoffs. Um, when Kulak followed his man to the high slot, he then fought, he then failed then to follow him to the front of the net when he when that winger charged in there and scored the goal. So you know, Broberry's man uh, on that that uh, on the uh, fourth goal was not. Or in this, on the third goal, excuse me, wasn't involved in the goal scoring play at all, but Kulak's man was. He was actually the goal scorer, McCann. Like. And um, so he, he went, I, I understand in the post game, he he blamed himself and said a couple he of his men behind him. And that's exactly what happened. McCann got behind him on that play and uh, scored the goal. He was just, uh, he just wasn't alert enough. Yeah. And I think it was uh, whoever got the tying goal for them, uh, Jaden Schwartz. On the delayed penalty, I think that was also that was behind that was Kulak, Kulak as well. He did. Yeah. So Kulak did own it. I'll give him credit for that. And yeah. So they were saying the players were were uh, making themselves accountable. Well, <clears throat> as this was, I was listening to Reed Wilkins and Rob Brown, and one of them said, "Yeah, but talk, talk is cheap. You know, it's time for actions on these. Um, uh, you know." recognize problems and uh, moreover um, Reed Wilkins directly disagreed with one thing that uh, which I didn't hear Jay Woodcroft's post game but he was apparently talking about uncharacteristic errors and they kind of took that apart and said these are characteristic errors of the Seventeen Oilers team it's mistakes that we're seeing they're making the same mistakes that they were making early in the season and they listed a few of them and that was uh I didn't find myself shaking my head a lot, Dave, at least not that I was disagreeing with what they were saying. I was kind of shaking my head at some of the memories and some of the mistakes they were describing. Well, the orders, the one thing this game didn't have a lot of was really bad goaltending, although, although Skinner on the fourth goal against put out a pretty bad rancid little rebound there from the corner. Um, but yeah, the mistakes they're making, like they just can't hold a lead Bruce because they can't play defense. They don't play, they don't work hard enough. They don't play, they don't play fundamentally sound enough. And it's it's haunted them all year long. It's really haunting them now, and and it's been a problem all year long. That's why they're one of the worst defensive teams in the NHL. And it's and it's and it's every single player on the roster, almost. There's a few good defensive players on this team. There's not many. And um, you know, it's the top guys, it's the middle guys, it's the bottom guys. They're all weak defensively, and it's and it's really starting to kill it. It's killing the Oilers' chances this year. You you did that post on faceoffs, Bruce. Did you see anything that caused? That, that, did you see any commonalities in what was causing this problem? 
well, losing the draw was was part of it, but actually of the goals that I described, uh, I think at least three of them, the Oilers won the draw and then immediately proceeded to cough up the puck right after it. So they didn't protect the puck. They didn't win battles. That's a very commonality on these plays where, you know, the, the first battle being the face-off itself, but then what happens next? And then when inevitably uh, headed towards the front of the net, often within three or four seconds of the puck drop, and there would be a you know a battle in front, and either the Oilers defenseman wouldn't be able to clear the puck so the goalie could see it, or clear the man so the goalie could see it. it would, he wouldn't be able to clear the rebound. He couldn't tie up the guy's stick, whatever. You know, the goals went in in a multitude of ways. And some guy at the side of the net just tapped it in with nobody around him. You know, it's, <clears throat> I mean, lost battles is kind of a kind of a great big umbrella that sort of describes a whole lot of those things but as you and I know from from breaking down the scoring chances in games we often assign one and lost battles and and uh it, that covers a lot of territory you know it's not it's different sometimes missed assignments but I would say more often lost battles yeah goals. that's that's what we saw in the two face-off goals defensive zone face-off loss actually Ryan won the face-off on one of those plays and uh, then Seattle got the puck. Maybe if you have the defenseman back there, he's more likely to be able to, after you win the puck, maybe you're more likely to keep it. So maybe who mm-hmm. knows if that's part of it. But yeah, in the end, those two defensemen were in the high slot and guarding the net were, was Ryan Nugent Hopkins and guarding the net was Ryan McLeod and Derek Ryan and they got beat down low. And it's not, you know, they are NHL players, but it's not their particular specialty, right? Like it's not like a defenseman. So, yeah, there was plenty of lost battles on both of those two goals against. As Jason Strudwick says, never trust a forward. (laughs) I laugh, too. (laughs) He is an outstanding hockey commentator. I enjoy enjoy his commentary very much. I think his work is outstanding. I really, uh, really like to hear what he has to say. So it's always got a lot of good sense to it. And he's, he's a, he's quite a, he's a coach now too. And a skills coach. coach. Alrighty. Um, what do we got going on here? What are we at now? Our numbers up to good thing. We haven't got to, we did our good things. Okay. What's your good thing, Bruce? Well, I'm going to go outside the box and I'm going to pick Adam Larson as my good thing. Uh, I had Larson in my end. We're, we're in the Oilers attacking zone. Uh, and I had Larson in my end. And uh, uh, I got a chance to appreciate his lumberjack style of defending in a new way, seeing him on the other team, lumberjacking, uh, you know, my team's players. And damn it, did he ever seem effective. And there there was just a beauty play, maybe five minutes in the first period, where he and Warren Fogle came together on the sideboards, like as close to me as you could get in the the, uh, uh, right defensive corner. And uh, it was a 60-40 puck for Fogle when when they went in there. When they came out of there, it was a 100-0 puck for Larson, who decisively won the battle against Fogle, who is a good puck battler, but he lost this one. And about a 12-foot pass that just looked like Larson just chopped, chopped it up the boards. And, of course, the Seattle guy just right on it and out of the zone it goes. Just a simple little play that if you weren't paying close attention, you know, it's just part of the, part of the game. But Larson was doing these kind of plays and guarding the front of the net. And 
contributing on offense and playing a ton, David. Adam Larson, tonight he played 24 minutes and 35 seconds, and he is averaging over 24 minutes a game for Seattle. After all the years that he played here, 20, 21, 21, 19, 19, and change each time. So right around 20 minutes, and they never seem to give him that 23, 24, 25-minute first pairing job. Well, in Seattle this year, he's 24 minutes. Not only is he he, uh, playing, he's scoring 15 points in 35 games, plus 14, Adam Larson. Uh, 27 penalty minutes, so, you know, he's doing his usual lumberyard stuff. And, you know, tonight he, his assist that he got on uh, on the uh, was it second goal, the, the delayed penalty goal, extended his scoring streak to seven games. Adam Larson, seven-game scoring streak. Uh, I've seen now three of those games, and, I mean, he earned those points. He got a beautiful goal in the game that they won on Sunday over the Islanders, slammed in a one-timer from the low slot. And... I'm looking at this guy and thought, oh boy, do we ever miss that on the back end? The Oilers have just not got the defense that it's going to take. I'm, I'm starting to conclude. And I don't see where it gets better outside of taking some sort of action. Because they got five defensemen that they rely on that are various degrees of veteran from Evan Bouchard right up to, uh, you know, Tyson Barry. And not one of those guys has missed a single game this year. It's not like you can say, well, they got injuries on the back end, you know, and they're having to play too many young guys. They just don't have real depth there, and they don't have a lot of options. And they sure missed Adam Larson, and they, I'm sure, regret letting him get away. And we know there were circumstances with, you know, his dad's death and all of the bad stuff that happened while he was here. But, boy, do they need that player, and is Seattle ever happy? They got that player. Yeah. Sometimes a player wants out, right? Like mm-hmm. Zach Hyman oh, left Toronto. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I, I think Cody Cece is, he's a different kind. He's a different player. I, I really like Cody Cece. I think he's mm-hmm. a solid player. I don't think he's quite, he's not the, the rough house guy and quite the shutdown guy that Adam Larson is. So he's been an okay replacement, but it's really hard to replace Adam Larson, who was it? I, I, I hated that day when he left. That I was just no, me too. Not at all happy. But we had a podcast that day, and we were both kind of oh, oh, yeah, how we were just mad. All right, Bruce. My good thing um, in the third period, they tried Philip Robury with uh, Tyson Berry for at least a few shifts. Um, there was lots of interruptions in the play because of power plays and such as well. So they, they didn't get a lot of time together. But I like that. I like the idea of trying Philip Broberry there. He is, to me, like he he did miss, totally missed that one shot uh, that Drysaddle set him up for. He just, um, he was looking where to shoot and it went under his stick. That happens to, to, to players now and then. Uh, happens to me every single time I get a slot shot. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, he, you know, he, 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 but I'm seeing some really good things from him. He can really, really skate. Yes. And his defensive coverage, he, he can cover guys like, he can cover them like glue. He can really be on them uptight, close, covering guys off. And I'm starting to see him make good defensive plays um, constantly. So I think, um, you know, is he ready to play in the top four? Well, Sometimes young players step up in the top fours on NHL teams and they do just fine. Colorado 
had some young guys in their top four last year um, who had high draft pedigree, just like Philip Broberry, a little higher um, for both of them. But um, I like the player. Uh, I like how he, I like his how he's developing, and I I just think Kulak needs a break. Put him down on the third pairing with Bouchard. See how that goes, and try Tyson Berry with uh, with uh, Philip Broberry and see how that goes. They, it it might just work. Um, it's not working now. It's broken now. So try mm-hmm. see with the the players you have. See if you can fix it. That's so maybe that maybe they'll do that. I doubt it. But when Philip Broberry was here last year, he moved up into the top pairing for a game or two. Now that was incredible in number of injuries at the time. Yes. But which which uh, triggered that. But yes. um, poor play could also trigger that. And Kulak, I think, could use a reset. Um, lesser minutes, easier minutes. And let's see how Philip Broberry does. Even though yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. Tonight they had a little bit of uh, Bouchard and Nurse in the third period, and I really would like to see a little more out of that pairing. And I think the 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 problem there is that uh, well, Dave Manson, who does the matchings during the game, he likes to to give Nurse the toughest minutes, and I'm not sure they're confident with anybody but CC on the other side of him yeah. taking because they take such a, a disproportionate share of uh, time against the toughest players on. Uh, on the other team, the trouble with a game like this is that Seattle has got very balanced scoring through all four of their lines. So you don't have like any sort of super tough minutes, but at the same time, you don't get any vacations, you know, against against the scrubs because they don't have any scrubs. They got, you know, just solid players top to bottom in the lineup. And a bunch of those guys hurt the Oilers in this game. Bouchard was out for nine of the 13 D-zone face-offs at even strength for the Oilers. So that's that's interesting. Um, Yeah, I I like the idea of him with Nurse, too. I mean, Evan Bouchard started to thrive when he was paired with Duncan Keith. That really worked. Um, Mm. Keith is a superior puck mover, very smart player, and uh, that seemed to rub off on Evan Bouchard in a good way. But Bouchard sure is struggling now. There's no doubt about that. The other thing that those guys brought that are missing, you know, uh, and a lot of people poo-pooed this and probably will uh, uh, will wave their hands at their screens if they see me saying this on the podcast. But last year, the Oilers had two guys who became the first two guys in NHL history to block 2,000 shots in Chris Russell and Duncan Keith. Both those guys are gone now. And I'm just not seeing in the in the replacements or even the guys who played with those guys uh, that, well, you can't expect quite that kind of insane commitment, 2,000 blocks <laughs> off, like, like Chris Russell showed in like 900 games. But tonight, but they have uh, nine in the entire game. And it, it's the defense, like too often it's soft. And I hate using that word, but you have, I mean, too many tap-ins or too many guys left alone. Or one time there was a two-on-two down the ice that turned into a breakaway, you know, because D got crossed up in the community. I'm not even sure what happened. I, I was live at the game, so a lot of these plays I only saw once. But uh, I do have the pleasure of looking forward to uh, uh, doing reviewing the scoring chances tomorrow and breaking down some of the things that happened. But uh Tonight a little bit, you know, it's uh, uh, 
it's one viewing and onto the podcast. But there, there's, there's just too many times where it seemed like the defense wasn't sturdy enough, or they couldn't get the puck over their own blue line. That's been a big problem. Anyway, I'm, I'm ranting because I'm still kind of not happy. Yeah, soft is a good word, Bruce. I mean, other than CC and Nurse, who plays a hard game? I mean, Nima Linen does, but who other like the the four guys that were playing tonight, they don't play a particularly tough, hard brand of hockey. None of them are shot blockers in particular. So um, Keith crease, and Russell got a lot of or, or, yeah. Or, uh, yeah. Keith and Russell got a lot of criticism last year, but yeah. they could some use some us. They could use a Chris Russell in his prime. Uh, right now, like, you know, when he first came to the orders, uh, you know, he, he was wearing down. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. But um, they could use that kind of player, that kind of shot blocker, defensive stalwart. They don't have him on their bottom pairing. And it's really, it's really showing right now. Yeah, even as a seventh guy, you know, at least yeah. you have well, the option to change things up. Yeah. I got Ryan Murray and guess what? Surprise, he got hurt. Yeah, they got Nemo Lyon now, but they don't really yes. have him. Okay, what's your number, Bruce? Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with, uh, uh, yeah. I'm going to go with the last 10 games, 4-0-1 on the road, 0-4-1 at home. I've given it all back in the home games. So just to pound away at the theme from earlier in the, in the podcast. And, they're going nowhere. Like, you know, literally one step forward, one step back. Because every time they win a game on the road, I mean, they beat Seattle 7-2 to two in Seattle three days ago. And here it is, 5-2 for Seattle. And then an eight-goal swing against the home team. Like, how does that happen? So there's a good number, eight-goal swing. And... My other sort of side number is 2 nothing, which was the lead that the Oilers had tonight. And I turned to uh, my seatmate at just that moment when it was 2 nothing briefly early in the second. Uh, Lynn Mertzrow, a very wonderful and kind person who's become a friend. Uh, and I said to Lynn, you know, this is a place where you'd like to see your team just put put their foot on the throat of the other team and just take it to them, make it 3 nothing." Four nothing, just take it away from them. And I said, but this is the Oilers, so we both know what's going to happen next. And on the next play, Evan Bouchard took a penalty. And on the next play after that, Seattle scored on a power play where the puck I don't think ever left the zone. <sighs> and the next play after that, there was another delayed penalty, but they scored before they even needed to go on the power play to tie it. And just like that, that 2 nothing lead was gone. And I, I literally made this comment to Lynn maybe two minutes before. So blame me for ever bringing it up if you believe in jinxes. But I just believe in seeing what I've seen before and kind of expecting it to happen again. And just like the Vancouver game of like a week ago, it did. They need to hold a meeting. (laughs) They need to hold a players meeting without the coaches and yell at each other for a while. Uh, Bruce, my number is ninth. If you go by uh, winning percentage, the orders are now in ninth. They're out of the playoffs. Mm Mm-hmm. Colorado is and Calgary are both ahead of them um, for the wild card spot in the West. 
they're out of the playoffs right now. I think this is the first time this year, if I'm not mistaken, that they have been. They were right there before with uh, when they beat Calgary, they went from ninth to eighth when they beat Calgary oh, okay. in Calgary. But. So here we are. And uh, so they're, they're in the race, right? They are in the race, um, but they've had, I mean, relatively good health in some ways. Like they haven't, like their star players. One big injury. One big injury to Vander Kane. Uh, most teams get one big injury through the year, if not more. So um, their superstars are having superstar seasons on the attack. Mm-hmm. I will stress on the attack. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I guess the feeling is, you know, everyone's starting to come to the same conclusion. They need a big, solid. Adam Larson, defenseman who can play the left side. He had to give up Taylor Hall to get that kind of a player before I will remind people. Um, So it's not easy. Um, But will the orders be able to make this kind of trade earlier or later? Will they wait? Or will they move move more rapidly than that? Like Ken Holland, you know, the last time I heard him on orders, now he seemed to suggest, well, they're, they're one of the teams that have, they have to know, is it worth trading for that? trading that first pick for he seemed to be suggesting, but you know, which was quickly, I think Bob Stoffer jumped right in then, if I'm not mistaken and said, well, you, you know, this is the McDavid era. Of course you're going to go forward. Can you, Ken Holland? Well, yeah, I guess we'll go for it. But I, I he's such a prudent and patient guy. Um, I think he, I think maybe they're going to see if Kulak can still turn it around or Philip Broberry can step up, maybe give it a few more games, but, um, they do, I think, have got to make. They've got to. They will be trading their first overall pick this year, first round pick, I should say, this mm-hmm. year. Uh, and why not do it sooner than later? Why wait? Because the evidence, the evidence is getting pretty clear here. I'm not seeing a lot of hope. You know, I mean, to me, the, the question is, who should be the third pairing defenseman, Philip Broberry or Brett Kulak? And, and then who mm-hmm. should, which of those two guys should be the seventh D man? And then. You know, will whoever they bring in as the fourth D man, you know, names mentioned are Gavrikov and um, what's the guy in Jake McCabe, Jake McCabe and the guy in Edmondson, Joel Edmondson. Those are the names being mentioned right now. Top four in my book at this stage of his career. Well, is he? He he sure was good in St. Louis. uh, Yeah, several years ago. That's a while ago. And he was good in Montreal. Twenty. Yeah, and they went. Yep, and he was uh, he was part of that. Him and Ben Sherratt, who they traded off last year for King. Well, he's Ransom. only twenty nine, Bruce. Yeah. Well, he's not unless I'm he's. Not, every time I see him, he's getting kicked out of the game for a stupid penalty. So my view is probably a little bit slanted because I'm sure that doesn't happen to him every game. <laughs> he look like At least he had twice. A, he had a major injury last year. He missed. He only played twenty four games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe that's yeah. taken a lot out of his game. Maybe you're right. Uh, and again. I don't scout any of these players. I don't put in the necessary work to have a valid opinion on these players. And I'm so I'm not recommending any of them. I have no idea, no clue. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying anything. But hopefully they'll pick that he's Jay Edmonds Edmonds's minus 15 in 28 games. For Montreal, it doesn't necessarily mean anything because that's a crap stat. All right. Yeah, well, Ken Holland's on the hot seat. I mean you know, yeah. some of his bets have got to start paying off. I would say, you know, this year he's clearly, at least to this early point, won the uh, 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 Dmitry Samurukov for uh, Kostin. Clean Costin trade. 
that was an upgrade for the Oilers. And Samorkov still in the minors for St. Louis, and he may yet pay off, but uh, uh, early advantage Oilers. Um, I sure but, like uh, Janmark too, Matthias Janmark. I think he's a fine yeah. hockey player. Okay, that's fair. Uh, anyway, there, there's um, uh, even with, you know, he came here and the Oilers already had uh, Connor McDavid, uh, Leon Dreisaitl, Dino Nurse, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, the guys that are still the core players on the team. He's built a little bit around them, but the job three and a half years later, the job of building a supporting cast for those superstars, and you have a team that's ninth in the West. And taking one step back every time they take one step forward. And at a certain point, you know, I mean, sure, the questions are of the players, but the question should also be of the, of the uh, people responsible for bringing in the players. And, you know, you've got, got to look further afield than just what we're seeing on the ice. But why is it there and what happened? Right? It's... Uh, <sighs> Well, it's, it's better it's times not, coming. We hope yeah, in the second half. Hope. The orders are typically better in the second half than the first. But just every Christmas time, sort of being down in the dumps and wondering what the hell happened to another, another uh, uh, optimistic October. And here we are again in McDavid's draft plus eight year and Drysaddle's draft plus nine year. This is just a weird team, Bruce. Is it ever? It's a weird team. Didn't we say that last year, though? Yes, uh, it's the same yeah. thing. It's a, they just they, they just it's it's a weird team because they play defense about half the time, and until they until they figure that out, until they decide they're just going to play an all-out defensive game every game, every moment on their ice, until they do that, they're going to have the same trouble that they're having now, and maybe they're never going to do that. This group. Uh, maybe they'll never figure that out, never do it. One good sign is, I thought Darnell Nurse actually had a really good game tonight. Okay, and, three in a row and, on my eye. Yeah, and that's really great. So I, I think I think Darnell Nurse may be the one defenseman who can actually take a lot of criticism, can take the heat and step up. And um, he, re- might, he might even respond to it because he's really starting to amp up his defensive game. I'm seeing none of the, the, the habits that were plaguing him before. So... <laughs> Anyway, Bruce, let's leave it there. <laughs> let's leave it there. Um, thanks for talking tonight. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>